exciting is this for Grace Assembly when we begin to recognize that we become a home to multiple nations. How wonderful is that? I, I, think, I think a church needs to be, for health reasons, multi-generational and multicultural because it's the closest picture of heaven we have. And so I'm so grateful for the way that you interact with one another. I recognize it's 10 minutes to 12, and and I want to share with you briefly this morning the kickoff for a new series that's going to be going uh, through spring, and it's called Benchmarks of Faith. I begin to recognize in conversations I've had with different people, whether you have walked with the Lord for any length of time or whether you're brand new and walking with the Lord, and people were asking me, well, how do I know in my life, how do I know what the markers are that I'm actually growing spiritually? What does it look like in my life when, when the Spirit of the Lord is beginning to, to take greater control of the direction of my life? What, are, what do these things look like? And so uh, in an effort to address these things and to help those of you who are brand new in Christ and those of you who've been in Christ a long time and you're wondering how does it look and what does it look to continue to grow, we're going to enter into this series. A benchmark means a standard, a point of reference against which things may be compared or assessed or evaluated. And over the next several weeks, I'm going to be leading us on a biblical journey that will help each of us in our own aspect of evaluating ourselves and assessing the different aspects of our faith life with the goal that we each have an aiming point, regardless of how long we've walked with the Lord, for spiritual growth and discipline. And this will be applicable, I believe, to everybody. And so I'm going to encourage you, as much as it is possible, that you would make being in the house of the Lord on Sundays, would you make it a priority so that you do not miss anything that God wants to do within your life? Some of the topics that I'm going to be covering will be prioritizing God in a selfish world and, and keeping ourselves in spiritual shape, praying beyond ourselves. What does it look like when we sacrifice for God's kingdom? Relationships, service, How do we suffer in a godly way? Discipline, humility, evangelism, stewardship, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Each of these will be benchmarks that we will be uh, taking a deep look at in Scripture as to how it relates to each of us. And I want to start today, and and I'm going to be briefer today than usual because of the time, but I want to start today by looking at an attitude of Jesus and how it relates to us in this journey The title of this message today is Focus. It's Focus. And to begin with, I need to just kind of give you just a little bit of a history here. God was speaking to the first legitimate king of Israel. It was a man by the name of David. Now, we know that Saul was the first king, but Saul was a king because God acquiesced to the cry of the people. David was the first legitimate king because David was chosen and David was anointed And God covenanted with David that through him, one of his offspring would become king over the nation of Israel forever. And so we know that we are told that there would be a throne and that there would be a kingdom and that there would be a reign and that there would be a king. And it was told to us, and of his kingdom, there would be no end his kingdom would never end we're told that he would bring peace he would bring the liberation of israel from captivity and oppression 
And the angel Gabriel spoke to Mary, and he actually spoke of things that were prophesied. And at the end of chapter 1 in Luke, the angel says this to Mary, you are going to have a child, and this child will inherit the throne of his father David. And this child will be born king of the Jews. When he's born, he will be king of the Jews. So Jesus, of whom Gabriel was speaking, was born from the moment he took his first breath, king of the Jews. And we know that his ministry first came to the Jewish people. He even said these words, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He then sent disciples out on their first missions trip, and he said to them, don't go to the Gentiles or to the Samaritans, but only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And the prophet said that this Jesus would come to his own people and that he would be despised and rejected by them. He would be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And then the prophet received the revelation from the Spirit of God, and these words came out of the prophet's mouth. He will actually be wounded for our transgressions. He will be bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now, let me tell you that after the service last Sunday, we got word from Tom Ward that after being sequestered for 100 days after a bone marrow transplant, the doctor came to him and said, this is the best news possible. We can't find any more cancer in you. 100% remission. We got word from John Wynn that after his surgery, no cancer. Gone. Hallelujah. Because the prophecies of him being a healing king are effective to us today. Jesus is the seed that God promised to Abraham and that he would come to the nation of Israel and that his first message would be, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And we look at that and say, why is the kingdom of God at hand? Because when Jesus arrived, The king has come. The king is here. And when he said that the kingdom is within your midst, it was because the king was there. But the king was rejected by the very people that he came to. In the early part of his ministry, he demonstrated his kingship through the miracles that he did. He preached about the law of the coming kingdom. He affirmed the law of Moses. He did everything the prophecy spoke of. But the problem was the people of Israel and the Jewish people saw him only as the Messiah in his glory, but did not understand how he could be the king in his sufferings. And they could not reconcile those two things. So desperately did they want a king to rule and reign and deliver that they never thought of him as a king that could suffer. And so the verse that we are about to look at is after Jesus has preached to the nation of Israel and he's raised the dead and he spoke the Sermon on the Mount and he demonstrated that he is the one. He is the king. But the religious leaders and the nation as a whole has rejected him. And now the message of Jesus changes. Now because he realizes that the time has come, he's going to have to look into a new direction. 
He now looks toward the cross, his resurrection and his ascension back to the Father. And so the plan was in place. And we read here of Jesus going to a Samaritan village and they rejected him as their Savior. And there's something that I want to call attention to about the attitude of Jesus that is going to set the stage for us as we go forward within this series. And it's a word that I want to highlight to you. It is the word focus. Look at the focus of Jesus. Turn, if you have your Bibles, to Luke chapter 9, verse 51. I'm going to read this out of the New King James Version because I like the way that it states it the best. Luke 9, 51. Now it came to pass. Now, what does it say there? It came to pass. In other words, this is happening. This is happening. When the time had come for him to be received up. Now, let me explain this language. It is speaking of his ascension. It's looking at the first chapter of the book of Acts where Jesus ascends into heaven and the disciples are left standing there gazing up into heaven. And the angels say to them, why do you stand here gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus you saw go up will come again in like manner. So he's speaking now of a time after his death and after his resurrection and when he is returning to his father. So here he's realizing that that time is coming. It's coming close for him to die on the cross, for him to be raised from the dead and return to his father. So in verse 51, now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Because everything that was about to go down was going to take place in Jerusalem. He would go there for the Feast of the Tabernacles, and everything would be set in motion for his trial and his beating and his death and his resurrection. So we now know Jerusalem is his goal. Jerusalem is his focus. Jerusalem is his future. And Jerusalem is his objective. And it says to us, he steadfastly set his face. He focused. The New Amplified Version says it this way. He steadfastly and determinedly set his face. The Living Translation said, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. The Message Bible says, he gathered up his courage and he steeled himself. And the word steel is like metal. It's, it's like he reinforced himself. He was preparing himself mentally and emotionally for what was coming when he got to Jerusalem. And he knew what was ahead of him. So when it says that he steadfastly set his face, he focused. He was engaged in something, in an attitude that is absolutely critical to the success that anything you and I will ever do in life must come from. We must learn to focus on what we need to do. That's a very powerful word. In fact, we live in a world today where the attention span of most people is seven seconds. That's horrible. Especially for a preacher. That's really discouraging. People are so easily distracted. We live in a world of distractions. Concentration Clarity of thought become difficult, and it's something that must be practiced. There is a discipline that Christians must learn to live with. And the reality is today that you will never reach a goal. 
You will never accomplish a task. You will never achieve an objective unless you are willing to learn how to focus on what is important and not be knocked off by all the distractions that may come your way. I love watching TV shows and movies that have a little political intrigue and some espionage like the series 24 and White House Down or Olympus Has Fallen. Some of those, it seems like in every one of those kind of movies, there comes this one moment where there's chaos happening everywhere and the lead actor or the lead actress has to grab somebody by the, by the shirt and they look in the eye and go, would you just focus? And after that, everything changes. It goes from chaos to, I'm, I'm, I'm locked in. So I tell you today that if you're really going to walk as a king's kid, if you're going to grow in the Lord, if you want to see your spiritual life develop, and maturity take place, then you are going to need to be a person who knows how to focus. Jesus set his face and focused on what he had to do. Now you need to know that when you make a decision to focus, it doesn't mean that all of the issues of your life are going to go away. It doesn't mean that everything that would try to distract you is just going to fall by the wayside. In fact, from the moment here that Jesus sets his mind and he sets his will and he sets his emotions and, and he begins to think about Jerusalem and what's going on, here's what's going through his mind. He knows that he's going to spend time with his disciples in an upper room experiencing a Passover that they have never experienced like that before. He knows that he's going to be instructing them on what they have to do when he is gone because they would be the carriers of the message from that moment on. He was thinking about the Garden of Gethsemane where he would pray until blood vessels burst and drops of blood would fall from his forehead. He was thinking about the soldiers that would take him and beat him and mock him and the nails going through his body. He was thinking about all of that. And the most powerful thing that he knew he was thinking about was he was going to die and in a grave he would depend entirely upon the power of his Father through the Holy Spirit to deliver him and bring him back to life. This was on his mind. This is what he was focused on. And let me tell you something. Just because you focus on your spiritual life does not mean that there won't be a million other things competing to be upon your heart and your mind. And even though in this moment of time, Jesus focused on Jerusalem, focused steadfastly on what he had to do, it wasn't that it was a straight line. There were some things that took place that his pathway was not direct. In fact, from the moment that we read this scripture, these are the things that took place to Jesus before he reached his goal. He would travel along Bethany where he would stop at the house of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. He would travel along the coasts of Samaria and the Galilean coast. He would send 72 disciples to go out and to heal and to preach. He would come in contact with a lawyer and then in contact with him tell him the parable of the Good Samaritan. He will have a verbal altercation with religious leaders and they will accuse him of casting out devils by the prince of devils. Beelzebub and actually commit the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit by saying that the work he was engaged in was the work of the devil and not the Holy Spirit. He will stand there and say, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, as he pronounces judgment, the woe of judgment upon these religious leaders because of their hypocrisy. He would meet a woman who was held in bondage to an evil spirit and he would deliver her and set her free. He would end up in the temple teaching. And while in the temple, he would end up healing a lame man on the Sabbath day and again face the confrontation of the religious leaders who couldn't believe that he would do such a thing. He would also meet ten lepers, and he would heal them, only one of which 
would come back and thank him for it. In other words, here's what we learn from that. Just because today you choose to stand there and say, I am going to focus on what I need to do to become a better follower of Jesus Christ does not mean that you can push everyday life aside. You will still live in this world and you will still deal deal with the issues of everyday life. But when you make it your focus, the strength of the Holy Spirit will come alongside of you and everything that you encounter, you can do so in the joy and the power and the strength of the Lord. So just because you choose today to focus does not mean that everything is going to be easy from this moment forward. Focus means that you bring your mind and you bring your will into alignment with your emotions and when those come into place there is something that happens when you begin to agree with yourself there is a power that is released within you Jesus tells us in Matthew 18 19 if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask for it will be done for them and my father in heaven agreement is a powerful place to be that's one of the things I love about our church I can tell you a week ahead of time that if you come to our annual business meeting, we're going to be celebrating together because we're in unity together. I want you to know that if you were to ever sit in on one of our board meetings, we laugh a lot and we enjoy those because we are in unity together. There's power in agreement. There's power in agreement. Very quickly, I recognize that you, if you have your bulletin, there are eight points that are associated with this. And I want you to know I'm not going to preach all eight, but I'm going to quickly, quickly highlight them for you. Eight points of what focus is that will help us as we start this journey. Number one, focus is a wondrous sense of clarity and alertness. When you are focused, when you have stood and said, I am steadfast about getting this done, there is a clarity of mind and an alertness that comes to you that makes The moves that you make with ease and exactness and your your thinking and your actions are aligned with one another. It's a wonderful sensation when there is this clarity and alertness that comes because you are focused on a goal. Many of you may have experienced that at one time or another, whether it be on an athletic field or in the job or things that you have determined to do, but you just know that when you focus, suddenly things became clear to you. Secondly, Focus is fearlessness in the face of opposition. Now, I want you to say that with me. Focus is fearlessness in the face of opposition. Now, I'm going to have you say that with me one more time because I think you might believe it the next time. Focus is fearlessness in the face of opposition. Listen, I know how the enemy works. And the moment that you make a determined effort saying, this is what I'm going to do, the enemy is going to begin to whisper into your ear all of the reasons and all of the giants why you don't think, why he doesn't think you can accomplish what you need to do in the Lord. And what begins to seep into us is a fear. We begin to grow afraid that I might not be able to accomplish it. Focused people don't fear oppositions or challenges, and focused people are not afraid of the giants. They understand that when they made a decision to be focused, that there were going to be obstacles in the way between them and their dream, between them and their vision, between them and their goal. But just understanding it comes with part of the territory. That when you are focused, there will be a spirit of the Lord that will be at work within you that will develop a fearlessness within you. And in that fearlessness, you begin to 
make your way toward the goals. Now, for some of you today, for you students, here's what I need you to do. I need you to start your focus on your schoolwork. I need you to begin to put some priorities together and say, I am going to be the best student that I am capable of being. I'm going to be focused on those things. For some of your families, some of these goals that will develop along with your spiritual journey will be, you know, as a family, we need to be focused about getting out of debt. We are so tired of being tied to interest rates. We as a family, we're going to dive into this thing together. We're going to be focused on it. It may be a big giant right now, but we're going to take it down as we focus together An agreement release the power of God at work within what we want to accomplish. When you are focused, you're fearless in the face of opposition. Number three, focus is confidence beyond a shadow of a doubt that you can do whatever you set your mind to. You must set your mind to it. Jesus set his face, and it was simply an expression that said, he set his mind on what was ahead of him. Let me tell you something. The scripture says that he set his mind to do something, but he didn't really want to do it. In fact, the scripture says that he despised the cross. Jesus was focused on doing something he didn't really want to do. And and there will be times in your life, and especially as we go through, there's going to be things that the Lord is going to begin to point out to you in your journey of growing and the benchmarks that you say, this is not my favorite thing to do. But you set your mind to do it anyway. He says he despised the cross, but for the joy that was on the other side of the cross, he was willing to endure it. He had set his mind, even though it was not something that was pleasant. And there are certain things that once you determine to focus yourself, certain things that you're going to have to do, some things you're going to have to endure, some things that may be painful in numbers of different ways to you. But when you have set your mind, you will get through this because you know what's on the other side of it will be greater than the benefit and the pain of actually going through it. You do them because you're focused. When God came down in Genesis 11, he saw humanity was building a tower. And he looked at it and he says, wow. These people are of one language and of one mind. Now, he says, there is nothing that they determine to do that they cannot do. That's quite a statement from God. It was a testimony to the power of what man can accomplish when they are in unity and focused. So what did God do? He unfocused them. He confused their languages. Can't talk to one another. Can't communicate. It's difficult to focus. But he recognized that there is a power within man because of the, of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit and the way that we've been created that when we are focused, there's nothing that we cannot accomplish with his help. In the middle of this, Jesus stated these words. At one point, he said to his father, Father, if it be possible... you take this cup from me I know what you want me to do I know what I'm supposed to do but if it is possible is there another way that we can accomplish this sometimes there is a discipline that comes in setting your face and setting your heart and setting your focus that will be through some difficult places And I pray that we will have the same power in our prayer as he did when he finished his prayer by saying, nevertheless, it's not my will, 
but your will be done. Sometimes when you focus, your greatest battles are going to be on the inside of you. Jesus proved that to us. His greatest battle was in his own mind. I, have, I want what's on the other side of this, but Lord, I am not looking forward to the journey. And some of you, as you understand the discipline that it takes to grow in the Lord, to be used of the Lord, to step out of your comfort zones. Many of you have settled into places just because you don't want God to push you out of the nest. You say, I, I, I like doing nothing. I like just sitting in the background. I like the idea of just making it to heaven and the Lord saying, no, 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 I've created you for more than that and your, and your battle goes on in your own heart. But as you move toward the goal to say, I will grow in the Lord regardless of what it takes. I will grow in the Lord. You will overcome battles that you will have to fight in your own heart and mind. Number four, keeping your head erect, your eye on the ball and knocking it out of the park. Now I use this terminology because it's two weeks till pitchers and catchers report. <clears throat> I didn't think it would be appropriate today to talk about a field goal kicker on Super Bowl Sunday. It just doesn't have, have the same power. But focus means that you walk with dignity. When you have determined this is what I'm going to do, you stand up straight. You said, with the help of the Lord today, I'm going to accomplish what I need to accomplish. I'm not going to let anything stand in my way, and I'm going to succeed in this because I know that the Lord is with me. And so you stand up tall, and you do what you need to do. Number five. By the way, I will just point this out. The people in the first service reminded me that as I went through these, preaching about focus, I missed a point. I am focused in this second service. I am. I will not miss number five. <laughs> it was amazing to me how many people were willing to bring that up to me today. I love the way we look out for one another. Number five. Getting in the zone, keeping on your toes, staying on target, and staying on top of things. Here's the deal. You cannot be lazy and focused at the same time. Lazy people are not focused people, and lazy people do not accomplish anything of value. And here's the deal for us as the American church. We have learned to be a lazy church because things have been easy for us. There are other places in the world that have had to focus way more than we have had to. But I believe God is calling his church to understanding that we are going to have to put our effort and our work into it. You know what lazy people are good at? Criticizing people that are focused. They are great at that because you make them feel guilty. And rather than you influencing to elevate them, what they're going to try to do is tear you down to their lazy level. But you are focused. You're steadfast, and I pray that you may need to just move some lazy people outside of your inner circle so that you can surround it with people who are doing something that will encourage you to keep on to the task. Number six, focus is power. When you are focused, you are empowered. If you have ever encountered a focused person that has one thing on their mind and they are going to accomplish it, you like being around them because they get things done and they draw people to them. The person knows what they want and knows what they have to do and they are willing to put in the effort to do it. Focus is contagious. I want us as a church at Grace Assembly to be so focused on growing in the Lord that it spreads across our community like the flu has in Syracuse. Influence. I thought I was pretty good. 
When you are focused, there will be people that will look at you and want to be around you because your life and your focus affects them and they want to be around you because they're going to say, man, I need to get my act together like that. Number seven, focus is taking a hold of life and not letting go until your dreams become a reality. There's a wonderful scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 that says, Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. There is an attitude in this verse that says, you reach out and you grab it. I want you to know something. I do not live in fear of what tomorrow holds. I don't worry about death because I have grabbed hold of eternal life. And I am not letting go of it. I don't care what happens in our nation or what happens in our world. I've grabbed it and I'm not letting go. I'm focused on that. And when you grab a hold of it, you take hold. It becomes yours. It's your promise to hang on to. And you don't let it go until your dreams become a reality. So whatever it may be, as you start your journey, seize it, embrace it, capture it, arrest it. And lastly, number eight, focus, is knowing that if God be for you, who? 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 Who can be against you? I want you to stand with me this morning. Because here's what I want you to know. We're going to start a journey of focus. Who in their right mind would stand against a believer in Jesus Christ that's focused? What enemy in their right mind would want to get run over by the freight train of a spirit-empowered church coming after all that God has promised them to be? Who in their right mind, knowing that God is for us, would ever stand against us? So are you ready to be focused? You ready for this journey?